First and foremost, if you missed something that I say today or you want to check up on it or think you misheard it, you can go to www.hopeisreal.org and check out all the announcements that we're going to talk about. You can also look at them up there because they're right in front of me as well, uh, right in front of you as well. Anyway, uh, onward and upward. So uh, the uh, three that I want to highlight today or a couple that I want to highlight today are we've still got the uh, Women's Building Christ-Centered Relationships Group going on Monday evening, 6 p.m. If you've got questions or need child care, give Pebby a call. She would be happy to talk with you about that. I'm still seeing the men's Christ-centered relationships. That's still going on? Okay. Men's Christ-centered relationships uh, meeting is on Wednesday evenings. Uh, contact Pastor Tom for that if you need more information. Tuesday evenings, there's a Tuesday night Zoom Bible study. If you prefer to stay in but want to do a Bible study, that's the way to go. Um, you can talk to Joe about that. And Discover Hope is happening this week. Second session of Discover Hope is happening this week. Third session is scheduled for next week, but next week is Mother's Day. So... We'll talk about that before, we'll talk about that again. I'll let you know whether it's really going to happen next week or not. <laughs> All right? And I think that's it. So I'm going to invite Pastor Tom to come forward. Is that it? Did I cover? Yeah, everything else is up there. You can see it now. Pastor Tom to come forward. Thank you, Darden. Woo! You want to try that again? Nope. All right. Well, thank you for helping with the babies. We appreciate that. How we doing, Zach? Very. You're very sensitive. That's beautiful. Do you need a hug? Not for me. Okay. Fair enough. You want me to send somebody back? You can pick anybody you want. Joe. Okay. Joe's got you. All right. Joe, give Zach a hug, will you please? Um, all right. Is there anything I need to do on my end? Preach. Okay. Got it. He's in rare form. Um, all right. Woohoo. He sticks the landing. The French judge deducted three points. Or now it's the Russian judge that's doing that. Was it always the Russian? I don't know. Who cares? Good morning. I'm Pastor Tom, <laughs> and welcome to Hope Church. Uh, I think what I'd like to do is have a gathering with just the important people around here. So if you are in fifth grade or younger, we invite you down for our children's chat at this time before you go to Hope for Kids. Good morning, Mr. Barnes. How are you? Good. All right. We have a second. Safe. She took your place. She just coldly and callously jumped in front of you. Is that an owl? All right. Are we still waiting? Come on down. Good. Welcome. All right. Piper is sleeping. Yeah, who could sleep through an exciting children's chat at Hope Church? I don't understand it. All right. So how are y'all doing today? Good. Um, let's see. 
Have you ever gotten in trouble for doing something you weren't supposed to do? <laughs> your sister's telling you to raise your hand, Reagan. I'd go ahead and throw it up there. You're thinking, all right. So it's good to have to think about that. That means you, you know, you're not doing things that are wrong all the time, right? But here's my point. We all, we all do things that are wrong. How do you feel when you do something wrong, when you do something you weren't supposed to do? How do you feel? What if it hurts somebody else? How do you feel? You feel sorry. How do you feel? Guilty. Okay. That's a strong word. How old are you? Seven. All right. I don't think I understood guilt at the age of seven. That's impressive. Um, yep. You're a reader, so you've read that word before. So we do things sometimes that are wrong, that are bad. We get in trouble maybe, and we feel bad. We feel guilty. We feel sad. We feel bad about the fact, especially if we hurt somebody else when we did something wrong. Um, and I want to read you a verse that God wants you to hear. Are you ready? All right. It's from... It's from the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 1. You ready? Right. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Your mom has that written on a piece of paper in her car? That's, that's probably a good idea. I could use it in my car. <laughs> um. So what does God want you to know when you do something wrong, when you do something right, any time, day or night, what does God want you to know? He loves you no matter what. And there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the guilt you were talking about feeling, God has taken that away. He's taken it onto his son. He took our guilt lifted it off of us, put it on his son, and his son took it to the cross and nailed it there. So it's not yours anymore. Who are you? You are loved. You are forgiven. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are forgiven. You are free. You are loved. That's a pretty strong promise, right? How long does it last? Two weeks? How long? Three weeks? Six months. How long? Forever. Oh, that's a long time. Even when you're in heaven, it lasts all the way to heaven. Yep, that's a long time. That's a lot of love right there. Can I pray for you guys? Dear God, Thank you that your word tells us that there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That your love has redefined who we are. That your son has given us forgiveness and freedom that lasts forever. I pray that you would fill these children with your Holy Spirit as they go to Hope for Kids. Lead them into a deeper understanding of how much you love them through their time in your word. Fill them, guide them, bless them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
You'll have a great time and hope for kids. And remember, there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. All right, y'all have fun. <laughs> hey, we'll take it. We'll take it. That's, uh, that's the right way to show off, S- quoting scripture. That's, I'll take it. Um, we are in a series of messages uh, in this season where we are looking at the New Testament in terms of some of the more simple themes that are contained therein, the central thematic uh, threads that run through the New Testament, and just trying to look at those terms in, in their simplest form and understand not just what they mean, but what does it mean for me? What does it mean for me today? What does it mean for me on a, I don't know, Tuesday or a Wednesday or whenever? And what are we supposed to do with these, um, these scriptural truths? How are they to inform our lives and impact our lives? And so we've looked at ideas like fulfillment and atonement and grace. And this morning we come to this We looked at the kingdom as well, a subject that Jesus spoke about often. And this morning we come to the theme of the new covenant. And so we're going to read a couple of scriptures, passages that that pertain to this idea. And we're going to try to unpack it a little bit. But really just to try and, and reflect on what is this New Testament concept of the, the new covenant and what does it mean for us. So to that end, I'm going to invite you to uh, just pray with me momentarily, and then we will begin. God, our loving Father, we invite you in to this time where we open your word. We pray that you would open our hearts, that you would speak to us and grow us more and more into the men and women of God that you have created us to become. Lord, we lay at the foot of your cross the burdens of our hearts that we might be more free to encounter you here through your word today. We give you our our sins, our failures, our disappointments, and we thank you for the forgiveness, mercy, and grace that are ours in Jesus Christ. Lord, as we come before you, we lift to you those relationships in our lives that are strained, and we pray for peace and reconciliation where it is needed. Lord, we also lift to you those whom we know and love uh, who are sick or facing uncertain diagnoses, And we pray your healing mercies upon your people. I pray especially this morning for a woman named Joyce who stopped by the building a few few days ago and just asked for prayer in her cancer treatment. Um, And Lord, I I know from following up with her that she's not doing well physically, but I thank you that she is thriving spiritually. I pray your healing over her body and your spiritual presence and comfort over her family. And Lord, we lift to you uh, our nation, our leaders at every level of government elected and appointed. We pray that you would give them wisdom and discernment in the decisions that are before them. We lift up our men and women in uniform. We pray that you would watch over and protect them as they watch over and protect us. We pray especially for those who are in harm's way. We pray that you would bring them home safely. We lift to you those who've returned home from their time of service changed and we pray that you would pour out your spirit upon them and use us 
your church to minister your healing to them, mind, body, and soul. And Lord, we lift up your church here at Hope and around the world, and we pray that your word would continue to go forth through the mouths and hearts of your people, and that it would not return to you empty. We lift to you those churches that we are connected to through our denomination and our missions giving, and we just pray your blessing over those uh, places in this world where your word is going forth, and we just pray again your blessing over those groups of people. We pray for Paul and Elizabeth Branch in Guatemala, John and Diane Davis in Laredo, Texas. We lift up uh, Pastor Miguel and Tatiana as they transition to life in the United States. We pray for Pastor Roberto uh, at the, our sister church in Kamahuani, and we just pray your blessing over that place, those people. We lift up Pastor Pachi Quesada and his wife Marilyn in Havana, Cuba, and pray your blessing over all you're doing in and through them. We lift up Robbie and Joyce Hand, who serve you uh, to uh, extend your word in Beirut, Lebanon. We pray your blessing over them. We lift up Monica and Benjamin Bailey in the Middle East, and we just pray your blessing over what they are engaged in. We lift to you the church plants that are going on in Texas at this time, in New Braunfels, in Austin, and in Dallas. And we pray your blessing over those young works. Be with us now as we open your word, open our hearts, and speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> All right. So <clears throat> I'm going to read from the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. And it is important just for the sake of context that you understand that the author is quoting from the prophet Jeremiah in the Old Testament for much of this passage is a, is a quote from the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. And the reason that's important is because you should understand that this idea of the new covenant is actually old. <laughs> it came uh, into the, the vocabulary of God's people in the Old Testament times, in the times of uh, the destruction of Jerusalem, the exile of God's people, and there was this prophetic promise that God would return his people to where they belong, and that he would return himself to live in their midst, and that there was hope, and there was promise, and that there was this idea that there would be a new covenant that would redefine the people of God, who they are, how they live. And so to that end, uh, I'm going to read from Hebrews chapter 8, verses 6 through 13, and then just understand as I do that that most of what's being quoted there came from the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah. That's in verses 8 through 12. All right. So Hebrews 8, beginning in verse 6. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. When I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue 
in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. And then if I may indulge you to read Romans 8, verses 1 through 4. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So you probably have heard the, the scriptures that quote Jesus at the Last Supper, holding up uh, a piece of matzah, and breaking it in half, and what does he say? This is my body, which is broken for you. And then after dinner, he holds up a cup of wine, which was known traditionally in the, in the Jewish context as the cup of redemption. This is the cup that every, every good Jewish person on their, at their Passover Seder dinner would hold up, they would say a prayer, and then they would drink the cup of redemption. And Jesus holds that cup up and says what? This is the new covenant in my blood. Okay? And so that is, that is what we call a very loaded statement. This is the new covenant in my blood is just like mind-blowingly significant. And, and not the least of that significance is the prophetic aspect of what he's saying, that I will spill my blood to usher in a new time in the history of God's people, a new covenant, a new understanding of redemption, a new truth for you. And, of course, he goes on just in the following a few hours to be sacrificed on the cross, his blood spilled to atone and forgive our sin. And so you can sort of understand the, the significance, the monumental importance of this idea of the new covenant. Like this is really important stuff for us to understand as Christians that God has done something in, in real time, in real space, in real human hearts to bring about an eternal shift, an eternal change 
an eternal um, renewal of his spirit. And so we are going to try and, and look at these two passages um, that we just read with this question. What, what are we supposed to do with this monumental uh, idea of the new covenant? What difference does it make to my life? What is it, and how do I enter into it? And so let's just begin with the idea that we, as God's children, are to accept our place in the old covenant. What I mean by the old covenant is the covenant of grace. It began at the time in redemptive history where Adam and Eve sinned, and God came down to them and spoke to them, and there was a, a subsequent separation between God and man as a result of that sin. And that is the time at which God covers their bodies with the skins of animals, and they are then ushered out of the Garden of Eden to east of Eden, as John Steinbeck would say, um, and that is where humanity, as we know it, broken humanity, is born. And so there is this shift, this difference between life in the Garden of Eden, in the direct presence of God, no sin, no death, no sickness, and then sin enters the picture, God's people are separated from him spiritually, and there we are in this state east of Eden. And we are to accept our place there. And just like with the children earlier, have, have any of us done anything wrong at, any, at some point? And every, don't raise your hand, it's okay, I already know the answer. Um, but every hand should go up, right? Like this, this is not a point of, debate, uh, we get it. We are not perfect. And so this idea that our place in the old covenant needs to be accepted, there's the contrast that God was faithful to his promises. He led, as this passage says in, in, in Hebrews, even as he's quoting Jeremiah, he led his people out of Egypt, out of bondage. He gave them freedom and hope and a future. And there, he proved himself faithful to his people. He gave them the law. He showed us the way. That is, he gave Moses all of the law, all of what it means to, to follow and honor God in our lives. And we know if we've read our Bibles um, or just thought about ourselves, we were not faithful. Humankind broke the terms of that covenant. Um, the fault that the author mentions in this passage is ours. We are the ones who sinned, who transgressed, who denied, who ignored, who went our own way even after God showed us his way. And so we are the ones who did not continue in the way that God taught us. This is by nature the definition of sin. If, if God is the highest 
good in the universe, the creator, the source of life and love, and we turn from him and deny him and, and choose to follow our own way instead of his way, that, it, that is the definition of sin. We're turning away from light and life and love, and we're turning then toward darkness and death and despair, or what would be the opposite of love, uh, apathy. <laughs> um, and so uh, there we are in that state of separation that we brought about. And I think it's really important. I don't need to beat you up about being a sinful human being. That's not my point, right? But it's our, all, it's our mutual starting point that we are in this broken world and we are part of the problem, if you will. And so think about it. God is by nature love, the Bible says. He is love. God is love. And so love has this disruption to its relationship with its created beings, its objects of, of, its lo- of God's divine love. What is love going to do? It's going to find a way to, to redeem, to repair, to renew, to restore that relationship with it, the objects of its love. And so God tells Adam and Eve, like, okay, there's now this new reality in the universe and the relationship between God and man. It's called sin. It brings separation. And I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to take upon myself or my son the consequences of your sin, and I'm going to work throughout history, I'm going to work redemption into the hearts of my people. Even when they are rebellious or sinful or broken or unwilling, I'm still going to work the process of redemption for my people. And so his, his heart of love never stops. It never shifts. It never changes. He creates us in love. We break that relationship. And because of his love for us, he pursues us through our sin, even to, to the death of his son, for our redemption. And so this is the beginning point, the acceptance of our place in the old covenant. The Old Covenant, in, in theological terms, is called the Covenant of Grace. It began with the fall of Adam and Eve into sin, and it ends at the second coming of Jesus. We'll talk about that more in just a minute. But um, for now, that's our beginning point, is accepting our place in that covenant, a place of fault. And then we are to claim Christ's mediation of both of these covenants, both the old covenant of grace and the new covenant, as he calls it. Um, so I think, I think this is um, like, let me try to, verse 6 of Hebrews, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. And so we have this statement in the book of Hebrews that Christ sort of stands with a foot in each of those covenants, the covenant of grace and the new covenant. 
together. He's sort of standing over them both. And we are to claim his place in the mediation of those covenants. He fulfilled the covenant of grace. Um, as it says in Romans 8, 3, he satisfied the law. God has done what the law weakened by its flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So if sin, the sin that separates us from God, has been condemned or atoned for or dealt with by Christ, guess what? There is nothing that stands between you and God. And it's even stronger than that. The book of Romans chapter 8 goes on to say there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. That's a little bit of a paraphrase, but bear with me. Um, and so Christ has dealt with this um, ball of darkness that stood between the heart of man and the heart of God. He's lifted it. It's gone. You are now in direct and right relationship with God through Christ. So Christ did that by, by satisfying the law, the requirements of the law. He lived a sinless life, and then he died for our sin to atone for, to take our, the consequences of our sin upon himself. So <clears throat> I'm going to try to ask this question again. So what, what does this mean for me on a Tuesday? What, what, what is that say to me? What does it mean? How do I access this? And the first thing that I would say is that in, in claiming Christ's mediation of that old covenant, of him satisfying the penalty of our sin, we have freedom. We have grace. We have forgiveness. We have peace as insane as that sounds to say in the world we live in, we have access to something that is unattainable any other way. We have peace. So when your kid is screaming in the middle of the night or um, where else should we go? <laughs> your husband's being selfish. That's, that was, I'm just confessing for my wife there. Um, uh, what do we do? We return to this truth at the core of who we are that says we're forgiven. We are actually at peace. We are not at war with God and everyone around us. We have this, this eternal peace at rest in our hearts. And as we return to that truth, we find strength in our relationships, strength in the, in the middle of the night for that screaming child. Um, she looks so beautiful and angelic like that. Is she always like that? Yeah. <laughs> oh, we know. Yes, there's only one beautiful angelic being in that chair. Um, Don't wake her up. That'll change. <laughs> she'll, get she'll get hangry. Yeah. 
So here we are in the truth that Jesus fulfilled the terms of the covenant of grace, the old covenant, that then he also inaugurates the new covenant upon his death. When he holds up that cup and says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, and then his blood is shed on that cross, this opens the door to a new reality for us. We are not just forgiven. That would be, an, there's an old Jewish prayer that's often said at, at the Seder dinner of Passover, it would have been enough had you just brought us out of Egypt. And then they go on and, and they say, but you fed us with manna and quail and gave us water and led us to the promised land, etc. But it would have been enough had Christ simply forgiven us of our sin. But the story doesn't end on the cross. He comes out of the tomb three days later, and a new reality dawns on the hearts of his followers. That we're not just forgiven. We have the hope of eternal life. And not only does he come out of the grave but on the, the Feast of Pentecost, he ascends to the right hand of God the Father. And if you, if you choose to read this chapter in the book of Hebrews um, that we've been looking at in chapter 8, keep reading. It goes on to say he, he died for our forgiveness. He mediated the covenant as a priest and then he ascended to the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And there, from there, he continues to intercede for us. He is working on our behalf. So this new covenant that he has inaugurated ushers us into a new reality. That we are literally and completely redefined in terms of our being from being sinful, broken, and in a place, what's the opposite of life, light, and love, right? Whatever that dark place is, that's where we started. And he brings us out into light, life, and love. And he sets before us this eternal hope that we are eternally free. We are forgiven, we are loved, we are free. We are new creations, as Paul would say in another letter. And so he fulfills the old covenant of grace, and he inaugurates or ushers in the new covenant, this new reality of who we are. And then, well, let's talk about, let's just, I have a diagram. We used this a couple years ago in a series we did called Run Through the Bible. And so we're going to start with our sin. Sin enters the world, and then that ushers in the time of the old covenant, the covenant of grace. Then I'm going to, that lasts until the second coming of Christ. We'll, though, okay, so there's, this is a timeline, but let me just be clear. I'm not predicting any proportionality to the timeline. <laughs> it's not to scale, all right? But the cross, Jesus comes into the middle of the covenant of grace, or not the exact middle, just somewhere 
between the beginning and the end. Of, I'm not Judge Rutherford. Don't get, don't just bear with me. But that covenant of grace lasts until the second coming of Christ, which at that point, well, brings us into the fullness of the new covenant, which began on the cross. So Jeremiah, who 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 wrote this all, you are you are here. Jeremiah's over there. All right, Jeremiah was there. He was not a bullfrog. He was an Old Testament prophet. But there you are at this point between the cross and the second coming, and you, you, you stand with a foot in both covenants. The covenant of grace, which exists in this broken, hurtful world where Tuesdays don't always go well, right? You have one foot there, and because of what Christ has done for you, you have another foot in the new covenant. That new covenant, if, I'm just going to take you back to the words of Jeremiah as they are recorded by the author of Hebrews. Um, I will put my laws into their minds, write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people and they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. Are we there yet? No. We, we still have to remind each other who God is and, and how much he loves us, right? We're, we're not all the way there yet. So what Jeremiah is doing is he's reaching past the second coming and grabbing a hold of something that will be true then, but that actually already is true in Christ who has inaugurated this new covenant, and he is giving you a taste, a piece of that glory for now, for Tuesday or Wednesday or any other day. You, through Christ, have access to this eternal reality where there's no more sin, no more sickness, no more death, no more sorrow, nothing left to grieve. There is the eternal light and love and presence of God forever. That, brothers and sisters, is yours, even now, in part, and then more fully, or completely fully. So let's talk about that new covenant for just a moment that we are to step into in Christ. Christ has made both the fulfillment of the old covenant and the inauguration of the new covenant ours. And so we are to walk into this new covenant covenant reality that the God we serve wants us walking according to the spirit I, I don't know that we can fully appreciate this as modern Americans but if you were a first century Jewish person um, this would be mind-blowing that God wants you to not Put away your Bible, but to live from the Bible he's, he's inscribing on your heart. These are really dangerous words. Um, you tell me, Tom, live from your heart. That is not always going to go well, right? Um, I'm gonna, my heart is a slippery little booger, and it does things it's not supposed to. And God says, I love you. I am redefining who you are, and I actually do 
want to fill your heart with my spirit and my word, and I want you to live from there. I don't want you reading every line of this and trying to and, and living out of fear that you're going to break a rule. I want you to live by your heart. As dangerous as that may seem, that's where your strength is. That's where your renewal comes from. That's where it all happens. We are to walk according to the Spirit, to let God guide our hearts, and to live again in close relationship with God. This is the whole point, that He is our God, and we are His people. And there is a heart-driven relationship between us that comes from here, not from here. And that in walking according to the Spirit, we can at the same time grab a hold of eternity now. I can't think of anything we need more than to just get a taste of what Christ has inaugurated for us in the new covenant today. All this darkness, all this hatred, all this pain in this world is redefined there. We have a taste of eternity now. Grab a hold of it. It is already yours in Christ. That which is eternally true, eternally good, eternally beautiful, full of life and light and love and glory, it is yours. And it will be fully yours in glory. This isn't just a hope of something that will be in the future. It's, it's both a right now and a forever. You can have a taste, a peace, an access to that which is eternally right, true, and good. And no one can take it away from you. Um, let me just call an audible. I'm going to read the end of Romans uh, chapter 8 for us. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Nope. Feels that way. That there's just death in this world, and it's pain, and it's grueling. Feels that way. But no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Will you pray with me? God, our loving Father, we acknowledge our place in that old covenant that we transgress, that you correctly find fault in us. And we lay that at the foot of your cross and look up to see the blood of the new covenant shed for us. Nothing but forgiveness, grace, love, light, and hope. Lord, help us to lay access to those eternal truths when we need them the most. 
when we are angry or fearful or confused or hurting or sick, Lord, may we remember who we are because of that blood of the new covenant. May your grace redefine who we are and how we live. May your spirit take root within us and fill our hearts and enable us to live from that place where you dwell, to love others well, to relate to you more fully, to engage with you more often, to make everything that we do day or night part of our ongoing prayer to you, that you are the God who is with us. You are our God and we are your people, that you have come to dwell in our hearts and redefine who we are and how we live. Fill us with your spirit that we might shine your light and your love in this dark and hurting world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.